The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. This morning I'm going to talk about intercession. But first of all, I just want to mention this. The Bible has one main message, one key message that everything, all stories really help to put a thrust behind that message. And the message is this. God loves you and he wants relationship with you. That's the key message of all scripture. That's how things started out. God created the heavens and the earth. He created Adam and Eve and he had relationship with them in the garden. It was a great relationship. They were working in the garden. They were doing their usual things day by day, but they were interacting with God. He came and met with them. He had relationship with them. And everything was perfect until Adam and Eve fell into sin. And sin had a disastrous effect upon that relationship. It shook that relationship. It changed that relationship drastically. But the Bible goes on, and even in Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 5, it says this, But because of his great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God acted out of his love because of the effects of sin and the effects it had on relationship. God wanted relationship so much that he acted and sent his son Jesus to be our savior, to bring us back into relationship. The main message of the Bible is this, God loves you and he wants relationship with you. Prayer, therefore, which is a method of us connecting, relating with God, is very, very very, very important. It's very important because it enables us to develop our relationship with God. I know that we have a tendency to go to prayer and we're we're almost like we go to prayer to tell God everything he doesn't know. God, did you realize this has happened to me? Did you know my circumstances? Do you know what's happening to me right now? Do you know about my family? The answer is yes. He already knows. The real thing about prayer is that we come before him and we say, God, I want relationship with you. I want to talk with you. I want to share with you. I want you to share with me. I want us to have fellowship together. I want us to grow in our relationship. The goal of prayer is relationship with God. It's us in our physical realm connecting with him in the spiritual realm. It's those realms coming together and that divine connection, heaven coming to earth, Connecting with us so that we can find his presence, so that we can hear his heart about the issues that are all around us. Let's not forget, God placed us on earth. In Genesis 1 verse 28, it says this, God placed us on earth to fill the earth and to subdue it. That was the whole function, the whole purpose that he gave to Adam. And you know what? We have been quite successful in the first part of that, filling the earth. You know what? The whole earth has got something like 7.8 billion people. So in terms of filling the earth, we've been quite successful. But as far as subduing it, that is bringing all things under the control of the heavenly kingdom, then that hasn't been going quite so well. Each person who receives Jesus Christ as Lord 
and saviour of their lives, as 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. As we become Christians, our role is to live for the kingdom of God. Because we're here to not only fill the earth, but to subdue the earth, to bring the rule of heaven through us into the earth. And that is a challenge. It's a challenge that we're facing right now. It's a challenge because of this, what John writes. 1 John 5, 19. He writes this, We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world around us is under the control of the evil one. There is a sense in which we're in the world, but around us we're seeing the work of the enemy go on. So for us to fulfill the subdue part of God's plan, then we need to surrender our lives to God. And so that his kingdom can come in us and through us and be established on the earth. Now, I freely recognize it's easier to talk about these things than perhaps it always is to live them out and to cause them to come to pass. And we might even say, if it were not for God, we don't even know how these things have happened. But we have been made by God and for God. And therefore, we have a part to play, especially in our prayers. Now, I want to turn to Ezekiel 22. Perhaps if you have your Bibles even where you are at home or your phone with you, you can turn to Ezekiel 22. And we're going to go to this passage because here, the prophet Ezekiel is interacting with God, and he's interacting with God over Jerusalem. So let me read Ezekiel 22, the first four verses, although I'm going to read a bit more in a moment. Uh, and I'm reading for the New Living Translation. It says this, Now this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, are you ready to judge Jerusalem? Are you ready to judge this city of murderers? Publicly denounce her detestable sins and give her this message from the Sovereign Lord. O city of murderers, doomed and damned, city of idols, filthy and foul, you are guilty because of the blood you have shed. You are defiled because of the idols you have made. And Ezekiel goes on in more detail, or God goes on in more detail to Ezekiel. Verses 6 to 12. Every leader in Israel who lives within your walls is bent on murder. Fathers and mothers are treated with contempt. Foreigners are forced to pay for protection. Orphans and widows are wronged and oppressed among you. You despise my holy things and violate my Sabbath days of rest. People accuse others falsely and send them to their death. You are filled with idol worshippers and people who do obscene things. Men sleep with their father's wives and force them on women who are menstruating. Within your walls live men who commit adultery with their neighbor's wives, who defile their daughters-in-law or who rape their own sisters. There are hired murderers, lone racketeers and extortioners everywhere. They never even think of me and my commands, says the Sovereign Lord. God is talking to Ezekiel, telling him what he is seeing going on in the city of Jerusalem. And as you've just heard, it's not good. I mean, to say it's not good is ridiculous. It is awful. The scene is horrific. And let's not forget what Jerusalem is. Jerusalem is the holy city. Not just called old, it's the holy city. Why is it the holy city? Because the temple is there. Because the presence of God is there. Because the ark is there. That place, that way that the priests would go in to find God, that is there in the center of this. And all of this is going on around. And so it's in that context 
But when we get to Ezekiel 22, verse 30, we read this. God says, I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap, in the wall, so I would not have to destroy the land. But I found none. Ezekiel hears from God all about what's going on in Jerusalem, what God is seeing, the sin that is all around. God is aware of it. He hates it. And he's looking for somebody who will stand in the gap. There's this picture of a wall that's now got a space in it. It's a broken down wall. So any enemy can come flooding in. Will somebody go and stand in that gap and block the wall so it becomes again a wall of protection? That's what God's looking for. But it says he could find no one. God is looking for somebody who will come and stand before him who will plead for mercy. Who will cry out for help over the situation that is going on. To say, Lord, we have had enough. Would you come and help us to stand in the gap for this situation and to bring about change. But the sad thing that we read in this interaction between God and Ezekiel is that God says, I I was looking. I was looking. But I could find nobody. This morning I want to look at this issue, and I know we haven't got long, of intercession. And intercession is a type of prayer. It's referred to as standing in the gap. As I say, it's that place of covering. It's that place of filling in, of of covering the gap that there exists so that people can be supported, so that people can be prayed for. And I want to look at two questions just to help us a little bit unwrap this topic of intercession. What does intercession do? Let's ask that question. What does intercession do? And to help answer that, I'm going to look at three Bible characters. Firstly, Abraham. Abraham, Moses, and Ezra is what I'm going to look at. Abraham, first of all. There's a people, if we go back to Genesis, and you read about this in Genesis, and we will be reading a bit of scripture from uh, Genesis 18. The situation is there's, there's two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, and they're talked about in the Old Testament, and To be honest, there's a lot of sin that's going on in those cities in that time. And this is a lot, lot earlier than what we've just been reading about with Ezekiel. God is there and he comes down and he meets with Abraham. And he is concerned over what is going on. He says that there's sin. Sin is the transgression of the law. Now that's a bit of an old-fashioned word. But if you understand a line, you understand the white line that's in the middle of the road. And when that line is fixed, there's no break in it, we know as car drivers you're not supposed to cross over that line. You keep to your side of the line. If you were to cross over a solid white line, then you are transgressing the line. You're going over the line. And when it talks about sin, it means this. God has said, this is what I want you to do. But when we start to say, well, are you really sure? I'd like to do this. And you're crossing over the line. That's when we're falling into sin. That had been happening in Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is what we read about. As I say, God has come down and there's three visitors that come to see Abraham. They start interacting with Abraham. Genesis 18 verses 20 and 21. So the Lord told Abraham, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I'm going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I've heard because I want to know. On hearing this, Abraham steps in before God and he starts to ask a request of him. Genesis 18, 23 and 24. 
So Abraham says this, will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? In other words, he said, hang on a second, God, you're going to destroy the city because of the sin? Hang on a second. Will you destroy both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city. Will you still sweep it away and not spare it for their sake? In other words, God, hang on a second, God. I hear what you're saying. This is a disastrous situation and the sin is rising up from Sodom and Gomorrah. But please, please, look, if you find 50 righteous people there, please, will you hold back? That's what Abraham is doing. He is starting to intercede for this city. He goes on, uh, verse 26 and then verse 28. And the Lord replied, if I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. Praise God. You see what happens when we start to pray? So Abraham is starting to intercede, but then Abraham presses on and he asks God again. Verse 28, suppose there are only 45 people rather than 50. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And the Lord said, I will not destroy it, destroy it if I find 45 people, righteous people there. But Abraham doesn't stop and he goes on to say, and he says, my God, what if there are 40 people? And then he doesn't stop with that. He goes on to say, what if there are 30 people? And even then he says, what if there are 20 people? And finally, verse 32, it says, Finally Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry if I speak one more time. Suppose only 10 people are there. And the Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of the 10. Do you see the effect of the intercession that Abraham had? He said, look, I'm going to destroy this city because of its sin. And Abraham's saying, whoa, 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 hang on a second. What if 50, 40, it goes all the way down. Look, if there's just 10 righteous people, God agrees, I will not destroy the city. That is the sort of thing that intercession can do. Intercession can move the heart of God. Now, just to finish off that story, in actual fact, there were only four righteous people. And that was Lot, his wife and his two daughters. And God actually went down and got them out, sent an angel to get them out before the city was destroyed. But that's that story. And you can read about that in chapter 18 of Genesis. Let's look at our second person, Moses. Moses. Now look, the setting here is that Moses has been sent off uh, up Mount Sinai. So he's up there. He's speaking with God. He's getting the Ten Commandments. He's getting all of that stuff from God. But he's been gone. And as far as the Israelites left down, they remember the day this fire has come down on the mountain. They remember that day when Moses went up there. But do you know what? That's 40 days. Away. That's weeks have gone by. We haven't seen this guy, Moses. And during that time, they say to Aaron, they say, hey, Aaron, will you make us a golden calf? We want something to worship down here, something that we can see. And of course, they, they make the golden calf. And that's what's been happening down at the camp. But up there on the mountain... This is what is going on. And we read about this in, Genesis, in Exodus 32. Up there on the mountain it says this, uh, 32 verse 7 to 10. The Lord told Moses, quick, quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you bought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf. They have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze 
against them and I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. Oh my goodness, what a mess. Moses had gone up to receive the law of God written on tablets of stone. And he was going to bring them back as a memorial before the people. But as he's gone, all of this sin has broken out. And you know what? I have sympathy with God's reaction. I know it seems like, hang on, God's going to wipe them out. But just think of this. Think of what God has done. God has brought this people out of captivity and they have seen his hand move through mighty wonders and miracles against the the nation of Egypt. He's taken them out of that captivity. He's opened the waters of the Red Sea. He's taken them through on dry land. He's destroyed the armies of Egypt. He has fed them food and protected them and he has looked after them. His mighty hand has gone before them and now... Forget that. Hey, we're going to get on and we're going to worship this golden calf. We're going to go back to the things that we remember uh, experiencing in Egypt. So God, in one sense, is I'm going to destroy them. I've had enough of them. But look at what Moses does. Exodus 32, verse 11 to 14. But Moses tried to pacify the Lord his God. Oh Lord, he said, why are you so angry with your own people whom you bought from the land of Egypt with such great power and a strong hand. Why let the Egyptians say their God rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven, and I will give them all of this land that I have promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. And the result is found in verse 14. And it says, So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring upon his people. Intercession can change the heart of God. Intercession has an amazing effect. There's sin, and God sees the sin, and he wants to act against the sin, but when people rise up in prayer before God and say, God, remember your heart. Remember mercy, Lord. Remember that you love people. Remember that you want relationship with these people. Lord, please, hold back your anger and change your ways that you may come and bless this people, that you may come and turn their hearts back to you, that you may restore them. Intercession makes a difference and can change the heart of God. And thirdly, I just want to look at Ezra. The situation here is now that Israel had been in exile, but they've now come out of Babylon and they have come back to Jerusalem. They've been in exile for 70 years. God has sent them there because of their sin. The things that we were reading about in Ezekiel. He sent them there because of all of that, right? You've got to go there. You need to learn a lesson. And now, as it were, after 70 years, having recognized, wow, God really means what he says. We need to go back and we need to live right before him. They have now returned to Jerusalem and they've returned and they're seeking to live. But when they get there and Ezra comes down and he's trying to establish the priesthood and trying to lead the people, when he comes on the scene, hang on a second, what's been going on here? Because when he comes back, he finds this. The people have returned from Babylon. They've returned to Jerusalem. When they get there, they've started marrying the women of the land, the Canaanites, 
those people who are still around. That's, that's like linking yourself straight back to the old way of life. And not only have some of the men taken the women for their wives, they've also got wives for their sons or got men for their daughters. So that, that we can understand why it happens. Look, there's a normal life is that we want to have family life, we want to build families, and we need to grow and have children and settle. And that's like, that's normality. Yes, but you've got to remember... They're supposed to have learned that as they're God's people, they're supposed to live life God's way. Not just turning to the ways of the world. This is like bringing the kingdom of God in. You're a people of God and you're supposed to be declaring the ways of God. But all you're doing is getting hindered with the ways of the world. And we see Ezra speaking into this situation. Ezra 9 verses 1 to 4. I have to read this pretty quickly really. The Jewish leaders came to me, says Ezra, and said, Many of the people of Israel, and even some of the priests and Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the other peoples of living in the land. They have taken up detestable practices of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. For the people of Israel have married women from these people and have taken them as wives for their sons. So the holy race has become polluted by these mixed marriages." Worse yet, the leaders and officials have led the way in this outrage. What was Ezra's response? Going on in chapter 9 of Ezra, verses 5 and 7. At the time of sacrifice, I stood up from where I had sat in, the, in mourning with my clothes torn. I fell to my knees and lifted my hands up to the Lord my God and I prayed. Ezra is coming in intercession. Oh my God, I am utterly ashamed. I blush to lift up my face to you for our sins. Hang on, hang on a second. Ezra, Ezra, the priest, wasn't one of those that had done this. But now he's saying before God, for our sins are piled higher than our heads and our guilt has reached up to the heavens. From the days of our ancestors until now, we and he's representing the people. We are steeped in sin. That is why we and our kings and our priests have been at the mercy of the pagan kings of the land. We have been killed, captured, robbed and disgraced. Just as we are today. Verse 10. And now, O God, what can we say after all of this? For once again we have abandoned your commands. And going on to verse 14. But even so, we are again breaking your commands and intermarrying with people who do these detestable things. Won't your anger be enough to destroy us so that even this little remnant no longer survives? Ezra knew that intercession can move the heart of God. And so he stood up there not saying that he hadn't actually committed this sin, but his people had. And he stands up there before God, acting as someone who's standing in the gap. And saying, Lord, we have sinned before you. Have mercy upon us. Restore us, O oh God. He is lifting up intercession because of it's such a powerful form of prayer. Listen, we, our time has nearly gone. I want to answer very quickly a second question. Who can be an intercessor? Who can pray like this? This phrase, intercessor, has a problem about it. From the point of view, in Christian circles, oh, you're an intercessor. Oh. And suddenly, everybody, oh, this elite group of people. So it's almost like the SAS in the army, oh, the intercessors. And so this, you know, now, not even if you know what they do, 
But they're given this title, and it seems to be a raised-up title. This is an elite group of praying people. Well, such as you, you could never reach up to that level. I, I want to dispel all of that. Anybody who loves Jesus Christ, who has been called by him, because God loves you and he wants relationship with you, your relationship means you're an intercessor. Or at least you can be an intercessor. Because you can see what is going on amongst your people and you can say, Lord, I don't want it to be said that there's nobody who's prepared to stand in the gap. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord and I will stand before you and I will plead on behalf of the people so that you, O Lord, can have mercy upon them. Any Christian person can stand up before God and say, Lord, have mercy upon my nation, upon my family, upon my country, upon my people. Have mercy, O Lord. So intercession is not just for an elite few. Intercession is for all God's people. In Isaiah, we read of an encouragement for people to pray, in that case, for Jerusalem and to intercede for that place and to keep going until God answers. Isaiah 62, verse 6 and 7 say this, O Jerusalem, I have posted watchmen on your walls, and they will pray day and night continually. Take no rest, all you who pray to the Lord. Give the Lord no rest until he completes his work and makes Jerusalem the pride of the earth. You see the effect? God is calling a people who will stand before him and say, Look, please, stand before me, give me no rest. Give me no rest. When we look at our world today, God is calling his people back to say, please, give me no rest. Can you not see what is going on around us? Can you not see a nation and nations of the world in crisis, and yet the one thing they do not do is to say, oh my goodness, is God real? Have we done something against him that such trauma should be happening to us? Nobody is looking for God. Everybody is looking for the answers that man can bring. The new gods of the vaccine have arisen, but the king of kings has not been called upon. It is time for us as a people not to have God say, I looked for a man or a woman among them, that they would stand in the gap before me. But to have people stand up and say, Lord, have mercy upon our land. Forgive the sin of our nation. Forgive us, Lord, that we have been so hard-hearted. Forgive us, Lord, that we have given ourselves to anything apart from you. Forgive us, Lord, that we have run after the idols of our hearts and we have served them, Lord, rather than coming to you. Lord, because it's easier to do those things than to come to you. This is a day when this type of prayer needs to rise up again. When the people of God need to stop thinking about themselves and to say, listen, Lord, you have put us here to fill the earth and to subdue it. There is a calling for the people of God to rise up. Let me just remind you, prayer and intercession is a form of prayer. Prayer is a journey. It's a journey to the presence of God. 
And when we get to the presence of God, we're going there for a purpose to meet Him, to engage with Him, to hear from Him, to receive His heart. So when we hear His heart, His heart is broken. Have you not seen? Do you not know what is going on? And in truth, if we stopped and we listened, we could see what's going on. And He wants us to stand before Him and say, Lord, please, please, Lord, have mercy. Abraham got to the point where he said, Lord, please don't destroy Sodom. Look, even if you find 10 people. And God says, okay. Moses stood before him and said, Lord, please don't wipe out this people. Even you've brought them all the way from Egypt. Don't do it, Lord. And God says, okay, I'm not starting again. I will bless them. I will help them. And Ezra did the same. Can I encourage you, even this week, afresh in your prayers, Yes, it's good to pray for yourselves. Yes, it's good to pray for your family. But let's come before God and say, Lord, we're going to stand in the gap. We're going to stand before you because as we pray, you, Lord, will act and you will bring change to our nation. May God bless you, help you, and encourage you as we continue with our journey in prayer. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.